when I saw it, I was very, very young. And the other big thing that I won't soon forget is the charred, smoldering corpses oh, of his aunt I, and uncle. Like uh, that actually stuck with me way too long, and it really upset me. And it was one of the, it was a childhood haunt, and it's like I had to shake that off. It took a long time. Like it was so they were so nice, and they're gone, and there's skeletal corpses smoldering, and I was just like hit in the fucking stomach by that motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef all right everybody what's going on welcome back to one fucking hour we are back we are live we're not dead and uh, not really no <laughs> not even a little not even a little we get we had, we took a little time off a little little spring vacation but we're back and i'm coming to you live from a hotel room in hollywood um so i'm i'm on the road um Love that where dreams are made yeah exactly you're doing some crypto deal right yeah <laughs> with some uh israelis yeah. Is that yeah. what weeks weeks before evan ends up on the street with all his yeah. dreams flushed yeah. down yeah. Here when it's in deals. hard on dogecoin trying to walk back from a few deals i made a few weeks ago all right um, to my left uh of course we have mr tom fitzgerald tom how's it going i'm great okay good good good, good and to be back good 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 really super glad to have you all right to my right is our very special belated birthday boy <laughs> marcus herring marcus sup Thank you. Thanks for the birthday wishes, guys. This is yeah. this is great. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I always like to be humiliated at my birthday. So, um, oh, that's what it's all. It's perfect. We waited three weeks for your birthday uh, episode Just to elongate the pain. Put it yeah. off. <laughs> right. So we could talk about my favorite movie. It's embarrassing. <laughs> what is that? Is it Fitzcarraldo? <laughs> is it uh, uh, Battle Rublev? of Algiers? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. At this point in my life, I don't usually tell that many people that my favorite movie is this one. <laughs> but uh, is The Red Shoes. Yes. <laughs> red Shoes. The Man with diary One of, Red Shoe. <laughs> diary of a Country Priest. Okay. Um, I'm going to kill you. Avatar. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the diary of a country priest. Okay, yeah, like, you love your persona. <laughs> All right, everybody. Spring. All right. Well, this is what it really is, okay? This is going to be tonight for Marcus's birthday. Remember, everybody here at One Fucking Hour gets a birthday pick. Tom picked uh, Jerry Lewis's Cracking Up, a movie we never would have done under any other circumstances. And maybe the same story could be told for tonight uh, for uh, Marcus's. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this is Marcus's birthday pick. Of course, we are doing one fucking hour on the 1977 film Star Wars. Star Wars. Mm. I think I remember that. Yeah. Mm. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Uh, it's embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. <laughs> I'm looking forward. No, to no, this. no. Well, no we're no. gonna do it the um, one fucking hour way. Yeah, that's the. That's right. Here, you know. And speaking of which, I'm gonna start that hour clock right now. And it's the hour. Just want to say off the top, everybody knows what Star Wars is, but for this hour, I want everyone to suspend their disbelief. We're going to take all of the ephemera, all of the fandom, all of the pop culture phenomena of the last several decades of Star Wars out of this movie. We're going to talk just about a film from 1977, okay? This is just any other movie from 1977, right, Tom? Like like High Anxiety or... Uh 
you know, the turning point or Julia or Annie Hall or, you know, it's just another 1977 movie. Like, right. Mm, it's a movie. It, it is. It was just a movie. It wasn't this like uh, other planet world phenomenon, you know, that's dominating. It was just a movie that came out and it played the theaters. There was a trailer and had in the paper. People said, oh, this looks good. Let's go. It's just a movie. <laughs> Let's talk about just a movie. All right. That's what we're going to do. But to kick things off appropriately, Marcus, it's your birthday pick. It's only fair if we kick it off to you. Why is this such an important film in your in your life? All right, get your spray bottles ready, guys, because uh, <laughs> lots to say on this. Um, you know, this I think Star Wars is a big movie for me as a kid. My mom bought me all the toys, you know, and would hide them in the refrigerator, send me on wild goose chase to find Greedo, and you know, uh, my they had them on VHS as a kid. I did see <laughs> Return of the Jedi in the theater. Um, you know, I was probably like three, four, I guess. Um, and uh, you know, I think I always had the making of. <laughs> films on VHS too, you know, uh, from Star Wars to Jedi, I had that as a kid. And, you know, I think like for a lot of people, and especially for me, uh, it's like the first time that I became aware that movies were like made by actual people, you know, that there was like film cameras and like special effects. And so it was like a big inspiration for me, you know, and like as a kid, George was like a big hero of mine, you know, uh, and I think it wasn't as, you know, lame to say that when I was a kid, because I think there was a period that a lot of people forget from like 84 to 95 when Star Wars was just like forgotten, like Return mm -hmm. of the Jedi had come and gone and it was sort of yesterday's news and it wasn't just plastered. Mm -hmm. The prequels were not going to come out. There was like, that was it. He made three movies and that was it. And it just had kind of died off. And it only kind of lived on like in like, you know, the the minds of the kids that loved it and talked about it still like on the playground or whatever, you know. And yeah. uh, I think those people kind of kept it alive, like just kind of pumping on the heart a little bit culturally until like he decided to kind of do the uh, special editions and then the prequels later. But Interesting. If, if I can just uh, yeah. I'm just thinking what you're saying, you know, that sort of the uh, the desert years of uh, the Star Wars phenomenon, they didn't really have a 10 year anniversary, I guess, in 87, for instance, to speak to mm. what you're saying. But they yeah. did go hard on the 20th and the yeah. 90s. And then <laughs> yeah. all of us had to it was the corpse was dug up, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's a good example. I can't think of any kind of like 10 year anno kind of like, oh, there remember, were a couple know, like Ewok movies that came out, you know, that were really bad still, made for like TV saying, movies and stuff. Because it yeah. hit hard on the 20th anniversary. Because yeah. it really all came back there. And then two years later is the prequels. You know. So just speak yeah. to what you're saying. You know, on that 20th anniversary, when that re-release, they made a trailer. And the trailer was like, ended with the line, see it again for the first time, you know, for the re-release of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a cheesy line, but I think it is true. Like, if you watch it the way that we're talking about it tonight, if you go back and watch, like, you know, if there's even like, there's a, there's a 30, there's a rip of the 35 millimeter original 1977 star wars around out there so that is cool. like if you sit down and watch that it's really it's really rewarding to sit back and watch just the craftsmanship the mm -hmm. you know the fun it can kind of it kind of helps you shed all of the baggage of the last you know 40 50 years so um yeah anyway yeah no 100 and star wars for me talking about the 20th anniversary it's kind of where i come in you know, with Star Wars being <laughs> yeah. being from a younger generation uh, than you guys. But yeah, I mean, I was like, I mean, because they because ramping up to the re-releases, if I remember, 
they were going hard on action figures. They were bringing the toys back. Video games were popping off. And they were, they were building up to that re-release because then, obviously, they had the plans for the prequels. But um, so I was riding that wave really hard was that build up to the to the re-release of the original trilogy is when I really got back into Star Wars. And it hit hard for me, like for those couple years there um, until episode one came out. But we don't have to get into that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Star Wars is a huge part of my life. I had all the toys. I had everything. I had all of oh, it. Sure. I, had, I had everything. The lightsabers, the gimmicks, all of it. Yeah, for sure. Nice one. Well, you know, to kind of round this out, which is cool. There's a generational thing going on here. Uh, I was a little kid and I did see it. Uh, like this whole premise we're talking about, like it was a movie. And uh, my dad had read about it in the paper. I was uh, I was visiting him in San Francisco. And like uh, he just said, people seem to like, I had not heard of it. It was like this third day or something. It was out. And uh, he was like, people liking this. I read in the paper. It's supposed to be good. And I'm like, okay. And then we go and there was this enormous line. Like it felt like two hours we had to wait. It was this insane line. And I remember we were a couple blocks away in the line, you know, for like a screening, like two screenings down, you know, into wow. the day. Wow. And then I finally got up and I didn't know what we were waiting for. I had no idea what it looked like or anything. I was like, okay, this better be good, you know? And then um, I got to the entrance area and there's lobby cards and there's a lobby card of the last shot of the movie where they're all like getting the medals or whatever, you know, like, you know, right. And I go, what? This is going to suck. You know, like, 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 well, this doesn't look good at all. Like, like it looked like, um, cause you know, science fiction kind of ate a big one back Ooh. then. And, Ooh. uh, I was into horror movies and science fiction as a little, little kid, mostly old 50 stuff, Godzilla maybe, but like, I, I was disappointed. Like, I'd, I think I saw like Logan's run on TV and I was like, that stinks like and like rollerballs <laughs> rollerballs boring you know yeah. although it is kind of weird and interesting but like it's just like uh not fun but okay so i see the film it is captivating it's hard to think this but i didn't know anything about this film so it starts in the drama of the scroll and then the ships and i feel mm -hmm. like the ships like is this the whole movie it's just going to be these ships and i was like that's cool i like it and then it starts and it's like okay science fiction and a ship you know like oh robots i'm like okay but I went crazy when I went the desert. We've gone to a new location. It moved fast. Speaking of the editor, which we'll get into, it was moving. And we were very quickly, like within minutes, like now in a totally other place. Desert, dinosaur, you know, bones. And there's humor between R2 and C3PO. And I went, this is not Logan's run. And of course, <laughs> I loved every second of it. And I was really sprung on it. And uh, I'm not the hugest fan, but... Um, I had a good time. I saw it like five times after that, you know, but uh, so it, 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 and it rocked. It was packed and everybody's cheering. And, you know, it was they hadn't seen it. No one saw it yet, but they were still cheering like things. Ha oh, they cheered, of course, when Han Solo came down at the end. That was a big, big moment. You of know? course. Yahoo. Like, so that was <laughs> that was exhilarating. And I'm very uh, I feel very blessed that I got to see it that way. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, you know, that always stays with me. And maybe that's how I've always been a little resistant to all the BS that's followed. And I even Empire, it's like, okay, you know, so like, that's my take on it. That's all I got to say. Well, if, if I can really quick, I think it was a that, cool movie when I was a kid. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. But I think one of the things that's fascinating about Star Wars, probably the most fa fascinating aspect of the whole thing is George. You know, George is George. this. <laughs> George is this. Um, 
you know, it's George. ignomatic force of this movie, no pun intended. But Marcus, tell us about George in the fact that obviously bizarre trajectory to get to Star Wars. You know, it's not it's not not a straight arrow there getting from zero to Star Wars. Yeah, I think it's his the sort of his backstory is pretty interesting or like what. Yeah, the all the all the little bits and pieces that added up to becoming a Star Wars. I think like. You know, Tom, you were kind of talking about like what makes it su- successful. Did you miss? Was that before the call? We were talking about this. Anyway, we were talking about call. what made. Yeah, yeah okay, like, we were talking about what makes Star Wars a great. And, and all I was saying was, my theory is that it had no competition. That like Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger or whatever, like which was okay. It's like movies weren't that great. Movies weren't that great for kids. They weren't that fun, and they didn't have like smart humor there was no han solo like boring conversation anyway you never got anything like that you know and so i think star wars one wins by default uh it's great on its own but it really had just no competition (laughs) it's a really shitty time for a pop movie real quick before we throw back to george like real quick before we throw to george my whole theory on that too is i think it's it, it is of that blockbuster generation obviously you know jaws is right there all those movies. Jaws is great, yeah. But those movies are kind of perfectly engineered for like a mass audience. You know, it's like you can it's it's a movie sure. you can bring your kids to that you can also like, you know. Yeah. And so, was, I, so was, I feel that was like, a new thought. Yeah. So I think it kind of works for everyone. Um, and I think that's probably why it hit so hard, and especially like international audiences, it was crazy. Everything, you know, it just worked. It for wasn't readily more. apparent at that time that it was going, you know, even if it was that's that was the intention behind it. It wasn't like yeah, that everyone that thought no one thought it was going to be successful. Really, the only a few people like kind of really held out for it, you know. But um, mm-hmm. Spielberg thought so. Not to jump ahead, but I don't think. But no one thought it was going to be what it became. You know what yeah, I mean? Like they thought like true. oh maybe it'll, it's a good movie, but no one that knew it was going to be like it, the including huge George Lucas. Yeah, mm-hmm. he right. thought it was going to bomb. Like he he went on vacation in Hawaii when it came out because he I didn't want to like read the paper no but to your point what you're saying is like it did break big that summer but he could be like he might have been thinking like everyone's gonna forget it by 1979 or there's gonna be some other movie like spielberg's gonna kill it 1941 is gonna kill <laughs> <laughs> like, like a couple of years later like like he probably thought like it's not gonna be this with mandalorian season three right now no way yeah and i think like the the production was so rough you know like the crew was like hostile to him and they thought it was going to be awful there's all these interviews with the crew talking about how they thought it was going to be terrible you know and like the uh the droids weren't working in the desert you know they it looks stupid on paper kind of the sets were too small yeah the the paper didn't make sense to anybody the dialogue was bad like um yeah he didn't get as much shot as he wanted to. The editing was like really painful. Like, you know, I think he's like put in a position where he had to like direct like 950 people, you know, like a huge ass crew, wow. you know, and like all right. the art department and stuff. The, the effects were late. You know, the music wasn't into the last minute. Wow. Like everyone thought it was wow. going to be just a disaster. A disaster. Like, yeah, including Lucas. He, yeah, I mean, he, I think like maybe it was on Empire, but at one point he had like a heart condition. He had like he got taken oh, to the right. hospital because he was like having like heart palpitations. Overwhelming. And stuff. Can I jump ahead just to kind of a major subject that I, I was hoping, or we, it sounds like we all want to talk about? Sure. Uh, just, just, just right at this point where you're discussing Marcus, um, I want to know if I'm wrong. Uh, I, I've the theory is even back then, my dad told me this because he read it in the paper after we saw it because we loved it. He's, you know, he was into it just as much as me. And he was like, you know, his wife 
like like uh pulled the movie away from where it was going to land and in, in the movie it was going to be and she fixed it and she made it uh watchable and the inner and, and it made it more entertaining so help me out in understanding how much should be attributed to her because i've heard quite a bit and i could see that because the lumbering quality of the prequels feels like lucas's inclination whereas marcia lucas who's you know really great editor did taxi driver and a bunch of shit like i felt like she had really good instincts to make the film zip because i remember even as a kid i was like this movie's zipping man so well, what are your thoughts on that? let's explain yeah. that for the people just so they know what we're talking about just real quick yeah. before you jump in marcus is the idea just that you know a uh, very underappreciated quality of the movie is that George Lucas's then wife, Marcia uh, Lucas, uh, was uh, one of the editors, I think, on the film. And she edited mm-hmm. some sequences. Most notably, she edited uh, the, the big de- uh, Death Star battle with the X-Wings and everything. Okay. And, and that's kind of like, it's really interesting because that whole scene, uh, she sort of crafted from a lot of like bizarre little ends of different scenes to kind of create that tension of the rebel base and then cutting back to the X-wing fight and the, uh, the, the, the yeah. ticking clock of the, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. Timeline yeah. of the, the detonation, whatever. Yeah. And the speedometer yeah. and all stuff. Yeah. She really expertly crafted that, but, but this is a part that doesn't get talked about much anymore today is her sort of influence on the film and the project. Yeah. I'd love to hear what really is the deal with Marsha making star Wars, star Wars. Yeah, well, so, uh, yeah, she's a really interesting person, Marsha Griffin uh, Lucas. And she, uh, like, Mark Hamill has this interesting quote where he says, like, you know, he can see a huge difference in the films that she edited with George and then the ones that she didn't edit because she brought so much of, like, the warmth to it because he's somebody who's not really, I think you can see this in interviews, like, he's not someone who connects with people that easily. (laughs) He's more like technical intellectual you know he doesn't connect he doesn't have that warmth so she helped bring a lot of that just to their relationship and then also to the films you know and and i'm not just saying that like she was like the warm wife or something because she actually was a she was a brilliant editor on her own like she was you know like if you try to look up information on her there's not a whole lot out there she's kind of receded from the public eye but from some of the accounts that i've read she was like as much a member of like you know the the new uh, the american new wave or whatever you know the uh right. as is anybody at the time you know she says um, de palma uh that whole uh, coppola that whole, yeah, whole scene she but, was in there well she right, like again she right. did taxi driver right but since they kind of got divorced and it was under weird circumstances like you know there she kind of ended up she said she didn't have an affair but she actually ended up like marrying after they got divorced she married this like stained glass artist who worked at skywalker ranch you know and and when they got divorced she got 50 million dollars and stuff so i think maybe he's like a little bit like got he feels a little pained by her and like has sort of kind of written her out of a lot of the she doesn't make a lot of the making ofs or a lot of the behind the scenes and stuff she's never mentioned that much even though she was a critical like you know she played a critical role and um you know they they went back really far like they were like uh worked together like for verna fields who was like another female editor and they worked on this film like together called like lbj in the east it was like lbj like touring like china or something and and uh that's how they met and she was a decent editor back then he brought her in on to like help out on rain people when he was like working with francis um to do uh francis for coppola to do rain people and she he got her this editing gig she's such a great editor and she worked on uh, medium cool like with haskell wexler and 
and uh, she she edited American Graffiti, and then she did stuff for Scorsese, like Alice Doesn't Live Here and Taxi Driver and stuff. Wow. So she was like a really badass editor. And, um, you know, some of the things the that... Pro. Definitely. And some of the things that, like, Mark Hamill says that she left in Star Wars is, like, the kiss, like, when, she, when Leia kisses Luke and says, for luck, and they swing across, you know, like... Supposedly, George wanted to cut that out because he's like, people are laughing in the screenings when they're watching that. And she's like, they're laughing because it's like unexpected and it's sweet, you know, like, so she fought to keep these little moments in. And and I think she had a lot of influence on like how the scripts would turn out too. And she would encourage him to write things that were had more of a human element to them and stuff. Because if you go (laughs) back and I mean, like if you watch, we'll talk about this stuff too, but like if you watch THX, it's like it's missing like a lot of the human qualities of like, Ah. Uh, of Star Wars, you know, so she helped encourage him and, and Francis too to like to bring those things to to bring kind of a warmth and human quality to like. And that might be uh, both in the script and in the editing. For example, it might be part of um, you know Han Solo's sense of humor because again, when I was a kid, I it was so unexpected to have. I mean, in Star Wars, you're laughing a lot, which is crazy, you know, like that's science fiction. You don't necessarily expect it, like silent running, fucking pain in the ass, you know, like, oh. um, right. <laughs> I hate what I'm that saying movie. it's really bad. I saw that years ago and I went, I turned it off. I was like, I no. can't do this. Unwatchable. But anyway, so it is yeah. bad. It's really so, cheaply made, right? Like, no, you know. but I mean, the film, the, the thing itself is like, I'm very unsatisfying, but anyway, like Han Solo's sense of humor, I'll say it again. It's like, uh, like, uh, uh I'm, uh, you know, when he's pretending on the, the transmitter to be like a storm trip. He's like, yeah. And, uh, we're here and, uh, I'm okay. How you, how you doing? How you, you know? doing? Yeah. Like, I lost my shit. It's so good. Even before That's... the uh, boring conversation anyway, which is kind of a punchline, but just, just to let him do that. Yeah. Like in the middle of all this mythology and space well, and action. And, and, and I, it's interesting that maybe she had some influence on that, both in pre- and post-production. Well, there's one thing, too, that we've talked about on this channel before, and I love plugging the uh, previous episodes of our show. When we oh. did the uh, episode, I think it was uh, it was either for Mask or Star 80, when we <laughs> talked about, uh, I can't remember which one, for uh, Peter Bogdanovich and his relationship with Polly Platt. Um, I think it was Mask. Right. And the, the idea... Um, can't, still can't believe we did one fucking hour in mask. Okay. Um, and it was basically uh, the relationship, the noticeable difference of, you know, uh, yeah. the the sort of, yeah, when the, when his relation, when Peter Bogdanovich's relationship with Polly Platt came to an end, there was a noticeable right. change in the movies. Right. And of course, the male auteur is the one who gets all the credit. And of course, here's the brilliant female always standing in the shadows. And this is, is very similar, uh, I feel like, uh, in um, a lot of different ways, uh, to, you know, uh, to that, at least to what I've read, too. And there's Same one, here, yeah. Yeah, there's one little anecdote I just wanted to share, and it's not, this is not um, confirmed, but uh, this was sort of passed down to me as a story. Uh, a friend of a friend was at, I think, the DGA uh, out here, and uh, this was some time around the prequels coming out. And George gave a speech of some kind or was giving a talk or a lecture or something, not in relation to showing the movie or anything, but he actually made a reference to um, how much he missed Marsha and the fact that he was nervous about embarking on, maybe he was just about to embark on the films and was nervous about embarking on the films without her and and, and actually kind of emotionally said on stage how much he like missed her. 
And so that's kind of always stuck with this friend of a friend, you know, as like a working partner, you know, yeah, as like a working partner, because because, you know, when you have someone like that in your life, like Polly Platt was to Peter Bogdanovich or like Marsha is to George, it's not just that, okay, she's the editor, bing, bing, bing. No, yeah, you know, she's like the life sounding board for everything. Sounding board. Yeah. So like everything is running through her, you know, and, and, and he's getting this very non George feedback, I'm assuming, you know. Yeah, and <laughs> and, and, she's, and well, maybe so, that tempered George, the Georgeness. One last thing, and then I'm done with her. Is just that just to close the loop on the uh, on the prequels thing. I know we don't want to talk about those at all, but Marsha made headlines in the last few years because she finally broke her silence on the prequels, and she had a great little Ooh. quote. She had a great little quote where she said, "You know, George is a good guy. He's a talented filmmaker. Blah blah blah." But after I saw the film. Uh, she went out to the parking lot, sat in her car, and just cried and cried. Whoa, <laughs> yeah. that's in print. That that was it's in that's, print. That happened. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I think she was talking. I, well, I heard her talking about the sequels too, and saying like Disney and Kathleen Kennedy don't have any clue what they're doing. You know, so she's like the modern day sequels. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah. I think she put it in a nice way, saying like you know that they were partners, and they weren't maybe fifty fifty partners, but that she did have like a lot to contribute to the films creatively. So I'm sure you know, yeah. But um, and I think she supposedly she did edit. Sometimes she's listed as an editor on Empire. Sometimes she's not, and then I guess she did oh. edit parts of Return of the Jedi too. Oh, um, and then I think like their like crumbling relationship is like part of the reason why like you know he originally was gonna do like uh 12 star wars movies like when they first came out and it was a hit when it was a hit he started announcing like we're gonna do 12 movies like in 1991 (laughs) there was like a a star wars (laughs) well yeah then he got whittled back to nine he's like okay we're gonna do nine movies and you know um but i think like by the end of uh you know, when, when Jedi started getting going, I think that she was sort of like, I'm sick of Star Wars. And that he, I think that's why he ended up sort of cutting it short, just doing three. And then he thought it was going to be done. And he tried to tie up all the loose ends the best way he could. Like, oh, right. I guess I'll make Leia his uh, sister. And like, you right. know, just try to tie up the loose ends as Wrap quickly as he could. Because yeah. he, he had yeah. planted all these seeds, you know, like yeah. of Yoda saying like there's another, whatever. He planted all these seeds because he thought like, I'm going to make nine more movies or whatever, you know. And like, yeah, maybe three. Well, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. one, one last <laughs> thing on Marsha, again, running this by you, uh, Marcus, is um, on some book, she had a quote where it was like, around that time, I think, with Jedi, she was feeling, I don't know about their personal relationship, but just like this whole Star Wars thing, you know, which is interesting because like, he, she didn't expect this bomb to go off in their lives, you know, Star Wars. And um, I think by 1984, she was like, you know, I could see her being fed up. I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she, there is a quote from her that she's or thinking of, a quote from her thinking back to that time going, you know, the thing about him is Star Wars became this inverted pyramid. It's a very vivid image for me where it's this it is just this one fucking stupid movie star wars 1977 and it just became this inverted period and i guess she i could see her maybe thinking george i think for your sake as a creative person you should walk away from it i mean i, I i'm paraphrasing i'm not even paraphrasing i'm just well, like assuming maybe she might have had that attitude i think anybody sane well, who was close well, to him might have had that opinion and, and maybe advised him like Let's let's close up shop. Well, if you're, let's have if another you're, chapter. It, let's have another if chapter. You're, 
If you're married to that too, though, I mean, can you imagine like every fucking right. night in in bed, like, right. honey, should I put Lobo's uh thing on the back of his head or? His, you <laughs> yeah, know, like, exactly. You know, like exactly. shut up. Yeah. You know, talk but, Lobo yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I right. you know like uh I think it's not just Star Wars too because like you know like like and I mean American Graffiti made them millionaires like basically overnight and right. then wow. Star Wars just launched them into this whole other world where it's like what are we going to spend all this money on now, you know? And it's like, they started building like a studio, you know, Skywalker ranch. And like, I think all of their energy started going to that. And like, you know, like you were just this sort of like artsy filmmaker who liked, you know, she loved editing. Right. Right. All of a sudden you're not editing anymore. You're like building a movie studio, you right. know, well, that's that inverted pyramid like a, thing. Yeah. You know? you've got like a house of like, you know, <laughs> you know, people that you're hired around your house to keep it clear, whatever. You've got all these other, this whole new mo money, mo problems, I guess, right. you know, like loaded. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, somebody said before we started taping was like, uh, he became Darth Vader too, you know, like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, so, so yeah, not a, I wouldn't say a monster, but no. just, I think that the loss of perspective, because maybe let's, this is something else we want to discuss. Oh, well, I was just going to say just, why I said that. Right. The, the only reason I said that I, he became Darth Vader is because, and this is a good segue to I think exactly what you want to get to, is I think the fact that you know, for those who know, I mean George Lucas, we should get into it. You know, was making very different films before Star Wars and had yeah, different hopes and exactly. dreams of what filmmaker he would become. And he right. most notably, you know, he would always stick his nose up to the idea of filmmakers who were very commercial, right. very mainstream, and he became right. the thing that he hated, you know? And I think that's... It's hard to think that. The Vader yeah. But he had a different attitude. And I will it's say... So, well, Texas... Oh, I, Texas. Uh, t- I was just going to... Just my, my, This is what I was going to say, just as a premise to open it up, and then it's Marcus time again. But basically, <laughs> THX is really innovative to the point of it being, um, you know, almost a pain in the ass because it's so pure... And it has uh, such a, an, an arched, like, um, uh, world. You know, it's not really, it's not very wiggly. It's like very, pu- it's very pure art, is, I guess is what I'm saying. And, um, and I and I respect that, is what I'm saying. And it's pretty mind-blowing, THX. And then American Graffiti is remarkably uh, yeah. similar in that way. It's, it's, it created a whole world. It's, yeah. it's, 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 there's no movie before, especially, but even still, that's kind of like American Graffiti. It has this... Yeah. It's all in one. It's all very. It's very um, high concept, is what I'm trying to say. They're two very high concept films, and they're really art films, uh, even though American Graffiti feels like a pop yeah. popcorn movie. So it's yeah. uh, and Star Wars fits that again. Back to our premise. The third time he did it, he made another kind of arched. Uh, pop, it's pop culture, but it's still high concept. You know. It's yeah. like a, basically a Flash Gordon serial, you know, for 1977. And oh my like, God, so, yeah. And he never, all I'm going to say, it just, this is what I'm saying, I want to open up to you, is like his filmography stops there. Three very interesting, very different, innovative films. And then he just he stops directing, essentially. And, uh, you know, um, and then he wasn't innovative at all because he kept going back to the, the chain, the, well. the albatross of Star yeah. Wars. And I don't know if it's tragic. But it is kind of a bummer because he showed a lot of promise. So, yeah. What of that? Uh, gosh, there's so much to touch on there. I just say real quick that like that's like the story of his early filmmaking is the story of Star Wars. Like originally, when it's like Luke 
against the empire you know this like young guy this young guy from a farming town you know this young guy named luke uh, from a little town in the middle of nowhere who goes up against the empire and does you know things his own way which is hollywood that, that's what star wars was right? originally about like the, the original trilogy right and then he comes back when he's older and starts making it about Darth Vader, you know, and the, it's all about Darth Vader and him, his yeah. redemption of like how he joined the Empire, how he Darth Vader joined the Empire, and him. how he needs to be redeemed. So it becomes, they're both about him, but then later on it becomes about his, like, you know, him as a big okay. mogul or whatever. Very you know? interesting. Well, what um, but do you think, just I to mean, get back to, I mean, like, yeah. I know you want, I think we should talk about his early stuff and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. About Luke back in, and, you know, Lucas back at Luke, Lucas back in Modesto, you know, like, uh, like one of the, uh, in his, in his art films and stuff, there's like, uh, gosh, it's so hard to figure out where to start because it's such a big subject. But let's just start when he's a kid. You know, it's like, uh, like you know, Star Wars is like one of the first films that sort of like I think one of the first films that sort of takes bits and pieces of pop culture and like digests it and puts it and gives it back to to people in a new form. You know, it's almost like like how Tarantino takes all these different references from all over mm-hmm. in a film yeah. and, and gives it back to people, but. It's like not as apparent always with, with Star Wars and people. Some of the things are really famous. Like people know that like Kurosawa, you know, uh, Kurosawa, yeah, yeah exactly. Hidden, Hidden Fortress, Fortress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or like um, you Flash know, Gordon, like you John Flash Gordon, right? Exactly. There's a lot in there. Um, I still maintain even like that... Triumph of the Will. You know, like there's even yeah. like a little bit of that. There's the bits True. and pieces of all kinds of and kind of stuff, Casablanca. Like, like uh, like Rick's Rick's joint, you know, and yeah. Casablanca and, is kind and, of uh, yeah, you know, and the fucking uh, you know, as a fucking comic nerd over here, I mean, hello, Doctor oh. Doom is fucking Darth Vader. Sorry, oh yeah, you know, I'm sure George was reading some of that shit too, because I mean, come oh, on, yeah. Doctor yeah, Doom, I mean, he's, Darth Vader. He was a collector of comic books, you know. Oh, he you collected go. Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers. There's like Ming the Mer- Ming the Merciless too, is sort of Emperor esque, right? And mm. um. Uh, he was really into amazing stories, you know, and we all heard that Star Wars was like based on the kind of serialized films that used to show in theaters and stuff. And I was always kind of a head scratcher to me because I was like, was he watching those like in the 40s at the movie theater or whatever? But it's like, I guess they were repackaged for TV like in the 50s. So like a lot of kids would sit around watching those serials like on Saturday oh, morning, okay. you know, kind like, of the way little rascals used to yeah. play theaters only in right or like uh, three television. stooges was on for me when i was a kid right. you know right. so like yeah. okay. they're still milking okay. those like uh one reelers you know right right um, so i guess they played on shows like uh, adventure theater and like flash and flash gordon and buck rogers were on tv i mean he actually tried to license flash gordon before he did star wars and like oh, oh. the the rights were actually like dino de laurentis had the rights and he wouldn't give them up shit. and like um because they were going to make the no, way sorry get this they were gonna he wanted to do a flash gordon with fellini that's what de laurentis was working on so they oh, wouldn't wow. give it to, to lucas yeah. oh that's not you know that actually i could really see that you know or it like, could have yeah. been a mess the most, <laughs> yeah. well yeah, yeah but it'd be interesting like the it would just, be. the the, the the pop flourish is sort of satiricon. That's never true. Heard yeah. So, I mean, did, I did, think, did, and that's did, when, did, he, when he couldn't get those, that's when he went back and decided, because he wanted to do those, he wanted to do something evocative of the Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers. I did not know that. Films. When he couldn't get the rights, that's when he's like, well, huh. I guess I'll just kind of piece together my own, you know? 
Um, but he was as a teenager, he was also really into like hot rods and stuff, which you can see with American graffiti and like, he would, he was a mechanic. He would build record his own car. So that kind of fits in with like the special effects and the spaceship. Sounds like Luke Skywalker too. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Isn't he always tinkering on the hover thing? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, like it's all kind of like processing and recycling, like the old pop culture from your youth, you know? Well, he sounds like like the ultimate, um, pop culture devouring boomer boy. Yeah, you know, yeah, and it's not a derogatory thing. It's just like no. an observation, like um, TV all and, the time. And guess what? And yeah. guess what? The, I think that's another th- key to the success of the film was it is boomer porn. Uh, I mean, Definitely. it's, it's, it's yeah. universally a fun movie, you know, like like I wasn't a boomer, you know, and I'm like, I was like blown away. But I'm just saying like boomers, like people like 25 to 30. Is he like silent gin, like sort of like no, the people that sort of, oh, not silent. Uh, yeah, like people that were born in like 40 to 1940 were like, you know, the people that were like the, the architects of the boomer pop culture, you know, like Jimi Hendrix and stuff. And He's a boomer. He's a boomer. So, so like, um, <laughs> no, but it's, it's, like, he's a boomer. He's a boomer. So, but I think what's interesting is people about 25 to 30 around his age, um, even before they maybe had a family, had kids who were seeing Star Wars, they were getting off on it because I never even thought of this, but he's speaking sort of boomer language. Again, this sounds derogatory, yeah. the term boomer now. And boomers kind of do suck. I agree. But I'm just <laughs> saying like, um, you know, not, not that into them, but I'm just being really objective and saying he spoke boomer. <laughs> So that it really resonated with people who are about in their mid twenties to early thirties when the film drops, because they watch that stuff on TV, you know, like their mythos, childhood mythos is projected at large on the big screen. You know, it works for any generation truly, but he is sort of a a, a boomer. He did the ultimate boomer um, dream porn, I would say, because the other (laughs) guys were mired in like, uh, you know, existential angst, you know, yeah. like New York, New York, New York's not very fun, you know? Mm-mm. Right. And, and he was sort of reacting against that in a way, like those important movies people were making, there's all this pressure to make these important kind of films like taxi driver yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I think like even Marsha was like encouraging him to make that kind of film. Cause everyone knew he was really talented, you know? Well, you know, and like, I think he Spielberg, was like sort of like offended a little bit and like he was trying, cause he was somebody that never wanted to do what, everyone else was doing you know so i think he's he was almost he was pushing back on there's a great quote from him that's like i don't care if i make a piece of art or a piece of shit (laughs) you know Mm, like like yeah there's the funny quote quote yeah (laughs) you you really you don't (laughs) you don't care about that okay the distinction no but you know what actually just not to bog down but i i find this all very interesting like the um sort of the uh the the pop culture film culture significance of, of when the film drops now the other big name and the other big pop boomer dream technician of course was spielberg who's equally uh as talented and devastating with his work and and spoke deeply maybe even deeper to uh the baby boomers at the time who were you know 25 to 30 or so you know close encounters really resonated because richard dreyfus is every boomer you know for instance (laughs) really and then jaws of course and then you know so i mean uh those guys you know that's funny though just if i just might digress for just a second just to keep it really broad about the times is you kept watching spielberg and he did keep moving forward and he did keep innovating he didn't make jaws too no he didn't make Jaws 2 or 3 or 4. Like, he made E.T., which is similar, sort of. No E.T. Maybe too. Maybe the Ghost Yeah. Right. There's no sequels. He, motherfucker didn't do sequels. I mean, Raiders is kind of complicated, but 
Anyway, well, that's because George, because George got involved. Oh, I know exactly. <laughs> no, but like, but then he just kept moving on. He even made bad movies like Always and stuff, or even 1984 is like okay. I think he you know? liked directing. You know, he loves directing. I don't think George mm. really. But he liked also it. took on diverse projects. You know, Jaws was the biggest movie of that decade before Star Wars. You know, it was a huge, huge yeah. film. And he wasn't tempted to have that, as Marshall Lucas said, that inverted pyramid. He didn't stake his entire trip yeah. on Jaws. Well, I think yeah. he moved on. So, I mean, like, he it's so, on. like, when something I lands, very few things land as big as Star Wars did, I guess. You know, I mean, it's, well, it's true he went Jaws back did. to the well, you know. But, I mean, it's yeah, sort of well, like, something... it's sort of like being like, oh, Obama never did anything that great after he was president. You know, it's like that was the peak of his career so it was the biggest thing that you know only Spielberg didn't feel that way that. Spielberg could have thought like I mean hey I made Jaws Jaws is big but top. not as big as Star Wars yeah it was well, big it was I think really big. big I think that there's something you know it's obvious it to say really this big. but I think there's something about too like there, there's that comfort of going back to the well and obviously you know Star Wars unlike Jaws created an ecosystem within merchandising and within other True. channels of revenue that uh, movies had never made. And so Jenner. then you start... Yes, right. So then you start having these other dependencies. It, a a yeah. film then starts to function as a corporation, and it starts to yeah. have more people that are, that are in debt to the IP of it, right? And, and, that's, think, and no, that's where we are now. But uh, I'm just going to... No, no. Uh, real quick. I, I, but, think I, there's just, I don't think Spielberg is ever tempted by that, and I'm always, I've been curious, how come yeah. he didn't bite that apple? That's all. No, I know, but I'm just saying that because it launched that, you know, I think that's when like going back to the well is a lot easier because there's a lot more responsibility behind it. Um, and, 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 and it's very easy to do that. It's, it's easy to say, okay, I'm just going to make another Star Wars film rather than start all yeah. over from scratch. And I don't know they, if I have I, tons yeah, of respect I, for I, that. That's I, all I'm, I'm not saying. Like, I'm not I saying I do. No, I'm not saying you're defending it. I'm just like, if you're just throwing it out there, it's just like, I don't really respect that creatively. That's like, what is that? You know? Yeah, no, that's that's where we are today, everybody. Hello. Yeah. yeah. And then and we're, we're, we're surrounded by the fruits of that. You're not into yeah. that, huh? <laughs> I think it's like, uh, <laughs> no. you know. Stop like, Star Wars. Yeah. Well, one interest, there's an interesting quote from um, Coppola where he says that, like, Star Wars, one interesting thing about Star Wars is it robbed like the world of all the wonderful art films that Lucas w would have exactly. made. Exactly. Yeah. It's this is what Coppola said. You're like, this is what Coppola yeah, said. That's what Coppola said. So it's kind of a head scratcher at first if you haven't dug into like his stuff, but it is really interesting. Like he was like a really interesting, innovative, technical filmmaker as a youngster, you know, and, um, you know, sometimes he's always, he still kind of references that stuff. He talks about like, oh, I was really into making tone poems and, you know, like he, well, he's got just, a, a whole list about, of like, wait, can you early, just, just to what you're saying is this is before THX, including a, a pre THX film that's THX was based on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Explain it. In the sixties, he made a lot of shorts at USC. Yeah. So like when he was at, he went to school at USC, right. At a time when like film schools were pretty new, like, you know, like they weren't, and they weren't like a, like from what I've read, it was not a stepping stone into Hollywood at that point. You uh -huh. were like, you know, it was like. And people in Hollywood did not respect the film schools, you know, because um, wow. um, it was like you kind of were like your dad was a director and then you became a director, whatever. You know, it was like sort of more handed down that way, you know. And so you didn't have a hope of getting, going to film school to get into Hollywood. That was more for like to make like to be like a news 
cameraman or something like, like technician. That, you know? Yeah. Technician. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so he went to USC and like, he talks about like, he started winning awards there. Like the first film that he talked about making was like, they gave him, this is like, uh, so they gave him like a foot of film on the animation stand and they said like, make a, and do a camera test, you know, to re- move the camera left, right, up, down, whatever on the animation stand. And he took that one minute of film and used all this, chopped up all this found footage and made like an art film. Cause he was basically like close. He was close to San Francisco, like, like in between like going to USC and like this junior college, he was like hanging out in San Francisco, going to see like, uh, like screenings of like, there was like screening series that had like Jordan Belson, like Stan Brackage and like Bruce Connor. Right. And like, so he was really into that stuff, like going wow. into college. And then when he got into USC, he was hanging out with like Walter Murch and John Melius. And they're like, Oh, you like those guys? Like, we're going to go see this film boards, this, this Canadian film, national film board, like screening tonight. And then he started watching stuff by like, uh, Claude Jutra, Tom, you know, wow. Right. And, uh, and like, uh, Maker made yeah, wow. And, and they wow. got Arthur Lipset, you know, the 2187. A lot of people have heard of that. Like it's a real uh, found Star footage Wars. pioneer. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. Talented. And then there's a couple references to it in Star Wars. Like in 2187, they mentioned the Force. You know, that's where that term came from, right. probably. And, Basically, just and very that's, that's the, that's the cell block that like, Leia was in is 2187. Yeah, exactly. But very so, stridently but so, experimental. Yeah, so he made these experimental films. And I guess that film that he made, that one minute film, like won a bunch of awards, you know. So it started kicking off his career. Then he was. Um, he was able to spin that award into getting like uh he won another award to go to Warner Brothers to observe, you know. I think it was like he was actually there's a there's a Western called McKenna's Gold and there was like twenty young film students that were hired to like make behind the scenes like of the film. And he made this one that's like this sort of like uh, atmospheric yeah. pondering of the desert, you know, with like a le- like it's just you it, you can't see the film crew even they're just off right. in the distance and it's like it's very electric cool. power lines and stuff and it's yeah. very cool yeah it's very spacey and, and vibey it's really good yeah it's yeah. and and there's um you know so then I think he got an award to go uh, so he was making these kind of art films and then he got an award to go observe on Warner Brothers and the only film shooting at that time was Finian's Rainbow. And so he went and like and was observing him, and that's when he met. That's when he met Francis. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola. So that's when they became friends, and he basically became his not his assistant, but his like, uh, yeah, his like helper on films. And he said like, "I want you to give me one good idea a day." And so that was George's like, <laughs> like that was his job was to come up with like one innovative idea on every day of the film shoot, you know. Nice. And um, he hired him to do like behind the scenes on a, the movie Rain People. But as just a way that he could write, like, he's like, I'll pay you to make the behind the scenes in this film. But really, you're just going to be writing your screenplay the whole time. So, because they were like getting ready to, they were putting together, like, I, I love you know, all so. this. I mean, yeah. that's, these are the, these are the glory days of, even before the 70s, these, the young bucks who were, yeah. Um, yeah. were definitely uh, trying to take film in America. That's the thing. You know, American film was so rigid compared to what was going on around the world. And these guys were really, uh, on a mission, and they're bucking the system, you know. And, yeah, and he was a talented like doc right filmmaker. Yeah, he was a but talented doc filmmaker. He he shot on uh, uh, Altamont. He was like one of the cameramen at Altamont. You know, like George, George Lucas. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Uh, I am He's on the is on the crew, and then um, Scorsese was on uh, Woodstock. What I was going to say yeah, was he worked with Saul Bass. Yeah. Maybe his biggest thing, 
just to just to round up on um, the early period uh, pre uh, THX is this really cool movie Electronic Labyrinth, which I watched recently. It's Whoa, like 1968, cool. a few years before. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but no. it's a total um, THX is a total reworking of that short 20 odd minute film. It's very cool, and it's just you just watch it and you're like, this is just a talent explosion. Mm-hmm. It's so different, so innovative. The editing's sick. The composition it looks so different. Check it out, Electronic Labyrinth. I was very impressed by it, and um, and it's it's yeah, it's the same essential story of um, THX, but it just the talent is just jumping off the screen, you know. Yeah. And um, and so I, for me, I guess I do feel disappointed. I think he shot himself uh, in the uh, in the creative heart, you know. It's just like, and I think he made some vital dis- bad decisions after Star Wars, and I could see the reasoning for it. But um, right, he he ends as an interesting really interesting creative person for me right it right to star wars because star wars is like i said it's and that's what i wanted to talk about maybe in the last minutes all this like it's so different than even star wars the phenomenon if you guys know what i mean yeah like like, well, like it's not it's it's like I, I can't there's no comparison between the original star wars and like Phantom Menace, like, well, I, I, unrelatable. Uh, no, of course. I mean, obviously, you know, hearing you, Marcus, talk about all the challenges in making the film, all like everyone thought this was a disaster, and it's just, it's, it's, it's just those like lightning in a bottle moments, you know, in in trying to make this, and especially, you know, when you have some people like Marsha, but you also have really super talented people who would go on to become major players in Hollywood. Dennis Mirren, you had Phil Tippett, you had all these other folks that are coming together to make this thing special. And and to try and recreate that, even with all the money in the world, it's never going to work. You know, but um, one thing I just wanted to say about Star Wars, because I rewatched it first time in a long time. And, um, and one thing that leapt out to me was how um, it, it really creates a big world and i'm trying to separate it from the other films and the franchises and everything yeah but it really creates a big world with hardly anything you know um and that's something i just want to give kudos to george on is the idea that you know you have yes you said you know you're, you have the spaceship scenes then you have the desert scene then you have the bar scene then they get back in the ship but then they're in the death star and that's pretty much it you know but it creates this whole universe yeah i know of an expansive world with just these little sets and miniatures very effectively and i still think that's and matte that's paintings. cool and matte paintings i think that's yeah. really cool just as you know the fact that it does create such a big world well you know it's nothing. it's it's almost like akin to dark star in a in a way yeah a much bigger budget but like that kind of like hippie sci-fi freak out that but, dark star is john carpenter's early film you know but the but but the difference there is that it this is really honed in storytelling wise you know the idea yeah. that it's it's like every scene is like zip 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 like you were saying it's like it's pushing the story forward at all times all the characters are it's all tracking you know it's all there yeah and I, can i, I add one, one other the- thought oh please well i just want to say to that point i think one of the one of the overlooked like and just like like reasons that ended up being so good is that this the power of revision i think it's always just been such a great thing with star wars like mm-hmm. you know he pitched it in 1971 like it like it went through like i think there's like four different versions of the script and like there's they're all out there you know so you can kind of examine them and see how they change wow. and things uh you know things are things that he modeled it on like how uh you know, just the, how he kept on going back and tinkering with it, tinkering with it, and changing it, and didn't just like commit to it right the first 
thing that came through. So I think a lot of it is just about being like flexible, getting feedback from people that you respect, like changing it. I think so many times, like we don't leave time to like revise like our creative work in this day and age, you know, and just like once you commit pen to paper, it's like, it's so hard to get that done that you just think like, well, I'm done with that. But he, he always went back and changed it so much. and was just open to changing it. And I think that's one of the reasons it, 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 turned out so you know this is probably born of many mothers like a lot of great films you know um that wouldn't surprise me he got an interesting group of people together and some very talented people together yeah. and he was open-minded that's why it's the best one yeah, yeah that's why it's right, the best exactly. one too is because like he had a lot of people going this sucks george and yeah then- <laughs> so, so yeah it's, it, it was much more of a group effort like when you get so big you know right after star wars yeah. it's less of a group effort because people are intimidated or they're you know, there's yes men and all that crap, you know, but what I was going to say was, um, I don't, I wouldn't say it's on, it's not in empire and Jedi and then, uh, at least, but there's a lot of emotions in star Wars. There's a variety. Like I said, you're laughing a lot. I remember when it first, I first saw it as a kid was, um, everybody uproariously laughed forever by the introduction of the, of the bar scene. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. It was just such a, uh, it was just such a jolt. It was like, oh, now this is happening. It was such a shot in the arm. And it was, I don't know if it was funny, but it was exhilarating and very comical, you know, uh, the crazy looks and everything. And he made sure to cut to all the different crazy looks. And you just had a lot of fun. He had fun. And all the, and all the languages. That. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, but they don't do it. Yeah. And then the, like, even the menace was kind of amusing. But anyway, and you kind of knew that this is the equivalent to like even like a saloon in a wild west film you know that well, you know what's funny is like that yeah. scene that that bar scene i'm so glad we're talking about this right now that that bar scene um is so like that set the way for all sci-fi bar scenes <laughs> all sci-fi bar scenes across all yeah. media goes back Absolutely. to that Sci-fi, sci-fi novels sci-fi video games all the video games have those moments where you're in the bar with all these people <laughs> and you walk up to them and you you hit a and then it says ah, i'm sorry i can't talk can't be bothered right now you know all of that comes from it's a good like you know if you take like a scientific sample of something it's a good like sample of like why of all the great creative forces that went into the yes, movie too. exactly like, the, You'd mentioned exactly. all the, the languages like Ben Burtt's like sound design and stuff. John Williams' yeah. music is great. Kind of like I know. It's alien, like, like uh, land, outer space, Dixie jazz, land. alien yeah. jazz, steel drums. Yeah, I know. But the I thing like is, um, what I was going to say was there's that. Like, I, again, just to get back to this original premise for doing the show here, it's like, other than your birthday, Marcus, it's just like, uh, <laughs> hey, what's this movie when it hits you? You're like, oh, what's this film? You know, n- not the phenomenon. And the variety of emotions, because when I saw it, I was very, very young. And the other big thing that I won't soon forget is the charred, smoldering corpses oh, that's on I, an uncle. I was and saying I'm that- sorry. Yeah, no, just I was going to say, like, uh, that actually stuck with me way too long. And it really upset me. And it was one of the, it was a childhood haunt. And it's like I had to shake that off. It took a long time. Like it was so they were so nice. And they're gone, and there's skeletal corpses smoldering, and I was just like hit in the fucking stomach by that. And that, what I'm all I'm getting at is just this little roundtable of like all the variety of emotions. Because then we're also talking about how funny Han Solo is, and it's all in one film, mm-hmm. and that is magic, dude. That's better it's, than Spielberg, you know. Although oh, Spielberg's yeah. Jaws, Jaws has a range too. Oh yeah, you know, like uh, like crushing, the, uh, you know, like. The, uh, 
with a great monologue about like uh, you know the Indianapolis. Hold on, but, you know, before we get too far away from the charred corpses. That's all. Um, that's all. I, so I I Please, watched it. You know, I was I was watching it again last night, and uh, it's so that scene so visceral. Even though I hadn't seen it in God knows how, how many years, the okay. charred corpses was so visceral to me that when I see aunt and uncle in the in the film when they first show up you know with the fucking blue right. milk and the whole thing the milk. Yeah. when i see them i like it like flashes to their charred corpse yeah. like i, I instantly oh, picture them in on that shit too like yes, they do there's a wide shot and then they go fucking they, like they we're go gonna like, see this but, on, like, but, like, uncle or whatever. but like when they're <laughs> alive true. you know like when they're alive and they're smiling I, I just see their charred corpses that's how visceral no i do i know and you know what it looks so the music's um, powerful there too no totally. that's true but what i gotta say is like um, just to maybe, I actually like this tangent in the end here, you know, maybe like just getting a piecemeal scene by scene. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be kind of interesting. But anyway, so <laughs> the thing about it is it got very almost documentary-like. Like it looked like, um, like in the Congo, yeah. like the rebels <laughs> blew up a tank and there's this 1969, 16 millimeter footage. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's very, that's his, very, and that's his history as like a filmmaker too. You know, like American Graffiti has that little bit, little definitely. documentary quality to it. You know, like yeah, yeah. Got, again, so, it's a one o- OFH classic. If it, it's not an OFH classic, if it doesn't have some sort of documentary feeling, right. you know, but to he, it no, somewhere. But he did. He pulled. He he made sure. that decision to make it very raw and very realistic. But I was going to say, if you don't mind, I'm doing this roundtable in my head. One of the great moments of articulating awe and longing and aspiring especially the young person is looking at the two sons, sons. or whatever yeah and the music yeah. is so good that is as good as anything ever and that has nothing that too. to do with the bar scene or the charred corpses but that is hits you and the so music viscerally the music yeah. swells Binary. in that moment yeah, and then, binary and, sunset it's yeah, insane it's so, so good. powerful yeah and 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 correct me if i'm wrong but that movie doesn't have like a oh yeah on Tatooine they have two sons you know like it's never really explained yeah. it's just it's just like a really cool yeah. subtle that is, visual oh god yeah that's something that the suits that make the shit now will never understand is that like not knowing everything is what made it so good you know what I mean yeah. like yeah. you didn't have to know they would all want the to have that clarified and, yeah right they would have to be uh, like well, yeah, yeah I just I mean like make an assumption went, it's like another it's in a galaxy far far away. So like maybe there's a couple suns over in that part of the galaxy. It's like yeah. why do you need to know everything? You're right. Yeah. The knowing everything is some kind of pathological psychological problem. Sickness. Yeah, it's like it's like as if like the most interesting thing is just all the raw facts. Factoids. You know? like, there's, there's yeah. Well, that's all. Things. Yeah. The, the the whole reason for that is 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 the modern day executive having to justify one's position when giving notes. You know, that's all it is. Notes. You know? yeah. yeah. But anyway, so so here we are in this little roundtable. If you guys don't mind. That's an incredibly effective scene, you know, mm. and, and, um, trash compactor, like- trash compactor, anyone <laughs> don't even get me started. That might be my favorite part. It's just like, well, I've talked about this with, uh, with, uh, Marcus. I don't know if I'm really get into the details, but I found some analogies <laughs> not, in life yeah. where there's like, I ah, never mind. but it's just, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's at once humorous. It's also the most almost campy moment. Cause there's like, Ooh, the one eyed guys in the water and he's going to drown, you know? So it's like, there's, there's, it's monsters. It's like a monster movie thing and there's peril and you really are concerned and guys equally stressful mm-hmm. suspense and humor is, is this the best shit ever? C-3PO. Oh my God, they're old. Yeah, they're dying. Yeah, that, he's hearing them celebrating that they stopped ah, yeah. the compactor. I'm done. Mic drop.
Like that's Star Wars, man. Yeah, I, I was even watching it. My Empire wife Strikes was not Back. even paying attention, and she was like in the background. But when C three PO said that line, she just it was the only moment she looked up and laughed and like made See? eye contact. You know, exactly. <laughs> that is choice material, man. Because it's like you're laughing, you're suspenseful, you're so you're also happy. Cheering at them. You're so happy. Wait, that you're cheering at them, but then of course, uh, being such a great, well drawn character, C three PO, it's like yeah, that's how he's going to react um, emotionally. Um, but all, but he's also a robot and he's like not really and, getting the nuances of like, those are cheers yeah. and not I also, pain. It's so good. Just, just also real quick on a conceptual note, just the idea that however the fuck he arrived at the idea of the death star. Okay. Just for one second, the idea not to get super nerdy here, but this idea that like, you know, that he's playing with that perspective so much because it here is this ship that's bigger than any ship that's ever been in any fucking It's essentially thing. a planet. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it's a planet, but that like it's 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 almost inconceivable. And now it's almost even in- inconceivable that it can destroy planets. You know, I think he must have been reading Fantastic yeah. Four Galactus. Come on. But anyway, destroying uh, planets and all that shit, right? And and then you're having this wild you know, that's a wild concept. But then to have the heroes persevere over that, you know, and to actually destroy that fucking thing that's almost inconceivable. Because Great Luke touch. uses the force, Zen, and just lets it follow through. <laughs> and he's in the perfect place at the perfect time because he's locked into the force. The force. Yeah. There's so much to talk about. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like earthy spiritualism right. over uh, a conquerors like technocratic like uh you know fascism right. you know no exactly exactly no, that's what i'm saying actually exactly it's like this tiny man with this little strange like uh, like like it's 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 like atomic level you know what i mean the force not literally but you know what i'm saying it's like it's not the size of this large cumbersome technological wonder of, of the death star but the de- that can be defeated by just like the tininess of the flow of the cosmos that has nothing to do with, um, you know, uh, I was going to call them a human being, but like, you know, that species uh, technological wonder, you know what I mean? And that's, mm-hmm. that really, that's very boomer resonation post sixties too. <laughs> Absolutely. In a cool way. I like that. You know what I mean? Like, um, so there's just I'm, so much to talk about. I'm, I'm just so happy that we had our like Tom breaking down the force moment on this show. Cause I never, <laughs> I never, that's what it's like. well, it's just, yeah, he's just, well, what he realizes is yes, I could be incredibly skilled and like work really hard, but no, you just take a deep breath and you exhale and you go right place, right time, fire in, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's right. And he's also special. And as my friend pointed out, and this is, uh, I like, he loves Star Wars. He was like, everybody wants to be Luke Skywalker, man. You know, you do want to be special. So I think that really resonated with children and like maybe teens, young adults, because right. nobody's Luke, but like you want to be Luke. You know, you want to be special. You look, sp- all I'm saying is like the, our hero is special. You know, oh. Obi Wan sees it. He is. He's destined for greatness. Okay, Even Marcus, he take us like home. A, Marcus, Marcus, birthday boy, take us home. Uh, I would just say, like, uh, back on that point that Tom said, everyone wants to be Luke. I think that, like, in a way, like, if you're into films and you're into filmmaking, like, there's part of, like, you that would want to be George for 1977 Star Wars to, like, to do a film the way that you wanted to do it, to be technically innovative, to, like, to do something that was against the grain and have it be a huge success. You know, I think that that's, like, everyone wants to be Luke, 
in a way, like every creative person would want to be Lucas George. in 1977. Well, you know what? Here's the last line. George <laughs> was Luke in 1977. And then yeah. he wasn't. He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, so uh, was this your... <laughs> was this the Was this the birthday that you always wanted to have? My Star Wars birthday. <laughs> good? Star Wars birthday take? party. <laughs> want to do another hour? <laughs> we could. We didn't even get into like, you know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye or any of the other crap I wanted to talk That's about. Okay. So. That's okay. Save it for All next right. birthday. I had fun. Yeah, me too. I might even rewatch. I might watch. There's a Super 8 Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that's that really gets it down to earth. That's dope. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I recommend that. Check out the 35 I sent you. It's uh, it's pretty... Oh, yeah. Marcus. Well, we're recommending yeah. to the audience is, um, I think there's even a 16 millimeter, but there's at least a Super 8 and a 35 video transfer. If you can scare one of those up somehow, you know, on They're the cool. interwebs. It's really worth it. And it, it does speak to what we've been saying. We're like that initial giddy electric charge, movie theater charge of Star Wars. You feel it much more than some kind of perfectly processed. You know, when the when the opening crawl comes up, it just says Star Wars. It doesn't say A New Hope. Oh, right. you know? there you go. So good. Hey, hey, I, yeah. I, I, I have a good idea. I'll use the 35 version as what I'll use to cut away to. You're going to uh, cut away? In this uh, video. Beautiful. So hey, that's the force we'll is with you, man. That's great. <laughs> okay. You got it. So um, let's uh, take a few moments here before we talk about next week's uh, episode to talk about to plug our respective Star Wars projects. Marcus and Tom, you go first. Uh, Marcus? Well, Tom and I put together a feature-length found footage compilation of just the weirdest, wildest, wrongest moments of Star Wars culture uh, right. for the original trilogy. For the first three, yeah. Yeah, it's we sort of like... in 85 or so. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a deep dive into Star Wars cultural impact like around the world. and It's, uh, it's amazing. It's it, amazing. <laughs> it's pretty it funny. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty like, funny, uh, yeah. Japanese... Uh, tuna commercials, um, Czech TV comedy spoof shows with like like a far too tall R2-D2. He's almost as tall as C-3PO. It's just like, it's this weird funhouse mirror of how Star Wars, um, exp- like it was, you know, uh, an atomic level, the, the atom burst and globally all these little tiny f- fractions of Star Wars-ness floated uh, all across the world for years. And um, we get into that. We get a little bit into uh, before Star Wars, you know, like it's going to be a flop. We get a, a lot of rare footage of um, oh, all the cool. props falling apart in the desert. And uh, <laughs> it's fun. It gets, it's 90 yeah. minutes. And I'm proud of it. He's proud of it, I'm sure. Yeah, we and made it like been well received. We, were, we made it before the sequels came out. And we were thinking this will be like the last time we ever have to talk about Star Wars ever again. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> we, did it in 20, we did it in 2015. And uh, it's called Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars to quote Bill Murray on SNL. We'll link and, uh, to it. But, yeah, uh, cool. It used to be on YouTube, but then it got taken down by the powers that be. But it's, it's, um, is it available somehow? Is it for, for yes. like on demand? Yeah, we'll put a link Did out. We, for we, it, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So I will put that link in the description of this video on YouTube if you're watching YouTube or listening on Spotify or whatever. And if I can plug my Star Wars project, um, yeah, uh, I do. I don't know if you guys know, even know about this, but um, I think it's like seven years ago now. It's hard to believe. Seven years ago, I did a documentary about Phil Tippett for Vice. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, I oh, did. Nice. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And shout out to uh, my friend Maya. That's um, her dad. So, um, oh. 
She, uh, she, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's actually married to my best friend from high school, Gabe. So there's a connection there. So I've known Phil for a long time. You're part of the Star Wars world. I am the universe in an ancillary Um, way, (laughs) and and maybe somebody else here on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Tom and I did meet uh, Mark Hamill. Uh, we did. Which was, like, he was very one. nice. <laughs> yeah, he was very sweet. I, I thought you. It. I thought you were going to say that you did a documentary on Jar Jar. Oh, well, <laughs> soon. Yeah, yeah, where is that? You keep promising soon. us. Soon, soon, yeah. soon. But no, I did uh, this piece on Phil Tippett, which is really interesting because he gets into talking about um, the first Star Wars and talks about because he kind of came oh. in, I think, at the tail end of the movie. Uh, he came in and, and he, he he suited up as one of the Cantina band members. And he also did the uh, famous chess game, which we didn't talk about. Oh, the, I love the chess game. The, oh. the, the hollow chess game that he that he uh, put together. I love so, when yeah. Chewie gets upset. Oh. Yeah. yeah. The stop I got to watch. must have done the, uh, the one-eyed guy, too. Yeah, yeah. So then, in but, the uh, trash compactor, right? But, so but, then, but then yeah, Phil, you know, became a, you know... Mm-hmm world-class stop-motion animator, worked on all of so many amazing films. So I kind of chronicled all of the different uh, projects that he worked on. And then, of course, when the industry changed with Jurassic Park and how he went through a deep depression because the the industry was moving in a different direction. Fascinating guy, great guy, and it was cool to spend some time Uh, with him. So I'll put that link down below as well. I'll put that link down below as well. Awesome. Great. All right, well, let's wrap it up. That was a lot of fun. Next week, week, uh, a slight shift. We're doing a very small film uh, set um, in the world of uh, small filmmaking, and an editor actually uh, falls out of love and then back into love and then out of love with his girlfriend. It's a movie called Modern Romance. Oh yeah! And actually, he is—he's actually cutting up a shitty. In Albert Brooks's Modern Romance, that's what we're doing next week. I just realized he's doing the editing on a shitty science fiction post Star Wars movie. That's right. George Kennedy. Perfect. Uh, one of my favorites. Um, and uh, I, I, I kind of want to just task it because it's it's such a it's it's a great example of what a small film is and how great they can be. And I, I find it enormously funny. And yeah. Albert Brooks is you know a legend for me. I really love his his style. And actually, there's a new documentary that's going to be coming out relatively soon about Albert Brooks on like HBO this summer or something. Oh, so, wow. I had no idea. So perfect. This is a perfect is happening, little yeah. So, yeah, primer set up look for into that. that. Yeah. yeah. So um, Modern Romance, 1981's Modern Romance, um, featuring someone from Spinal Tap. Uh, mm. His co-worker was the uh, limo driver in Spinal Tap. Yes. Bruno Kirby. Yeah. Bruno Kirby. The, <laughs> yeah. the late, great Bruno Kirby. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, and it's, it's going to be great for us to get back into doing another comedy, and that's always fun. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, because there's, there's not a ton of comedies, I feel like, are one fucking hour worthy, but this one definitely Probably not. Uh, I think this, this applies. It's, it's, it's a slightly irregular shape. And uh, if you like the Quaalude scene, if you haven't seen Modern Romance, if you oh like the Quaalude scene... In uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, you're gonna love the Quaalude scene <laughs> in uh, Modern Romance. No, totally. So, one all of right, the other well, big Quaalude scenes. All right, everybody. Well, that was uh, one fucking hour on Star Wars. Didn't think that'd be saying that. Star to start, Wars started this show, but uh, Mark we're gonna do Terminator Two uh, Two next week. <laughs> For the record, they made me do Star Wars. I, we did force him. We did force him. That He's like slip, slipping a note to the audience. Yeah, he they forced he, me. To do they it. forced you. The force um, was with him. Yeah. Yeah, but but uh, I think it was fun. But it was I think great. It was, it was necessary. Yeah, it was. I good. think it we did a, a good job. We we did too. I I did. On, I on a, a well worn 
on well-worn uh, road, we uh, we cut most, a few new paths. The most worn road there is. I know. Yeah. It's horrifying. <laughs> so, but that was part of what we were talking about and everything. And, next um, week, Harry Potter. Or, yeah. Sorry, the, next week. <laughs> the Avengers, Age of Ultron. Oh. Okay. All right, we're everybody. kind of going in a new direction over here. <laughs> Franchises. Joker. Right. Actually, the Joker might come up. Dude, I actually think we could do Joker. <laughs> In a very wrong context. Yes. That, I think that fans won't like yeah. you know, but the, the Joker's on our short list. So stay tuned. I think, stay tuned. I, I think Joker Jealous. should definitely be on there. Me okay. too. Me too. Mm, Joker. Mm, Me too. Mm, mm. Mm, can't wait. All right. All right. Okay. All right, everybody. Have a terrific uh, rest of your week, and we will see you uh, next week for one fucking hour on Modern Romance. Get your uh, pre watch in. It's necessary. Uh, and uh, that's it, guys. Uh, oh, wait. We can't let you go without your... Oh, my God. How do I do that without my keyboard? Oh. Let's see if I can do it. Hang on. Hang on. Your moment of zen. Oh, I what's did. it going to be this week? Okay. And we will see you again. It's on All you, right, Marcus. Okay. That's, that's your moment, Marcus. Bye. Bye, everybody. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Yeah.